Morning, my name is Gil Stiglitz, and I'm the one that's speaking today because Jeff asked me, and uh, John said, you guys are a pastor for church. So uh, I am encouraged. I have uh, just a little bit of background. I've been a pastor for a lot of years, then I was a denominational executive, and then I was the executive pastor at Adventure Christian Church for about five years, and I'm just happy to be here this morning. I was assigned this fascinating passage that you're going to be really excited about in 1 John chapter 2, so uh, why don't we just jump in there? Basically, if you don't have a Bible, but you'd like to have a Bible, I guess there's some Bible ushers who would hand you a Bible if you'd like to have one, and uh, just slip up a hand and they'll throw a Bible at you or maybe hand one nicely to you. Um, the title of this morning's message is Navigating the End Times, which is a very interesting passage of the scriptures. I don't know about you, but uh, a number of years ago, I was going to one of my favorite upscale restaurants, Carl's Jr., and uh, was in line and waited for my Cherbroiler chicken sandwich and was interacting with the people. I usually try and go to the same restaurant, so hopefully I'll get a chance to maybe talk with some of the people eventually. And uh, so I ordered my sandwich, and then the manager came out of the restaurant, uh, out of the back, and she said, could I talk with you for a minute? You're a pastor, right? And I said, yes. And I said, oh, this is so exciting. And she said, the world's not going to end tomorrow, is it? Because there was this big deal a few years ago on how on Saturday, a particular Saturday, the world was supposed to end and Jesus was supposed to come back. And it was a big deal. And it reached, obviously, her. And she didn't really go to church much, but she just wanted to know, is the, is the world going to end? And I said, no, it's not. But you need to hear about the Jesus that you think it might end with. And uh, what I thought was, I get very upset and concerned and about all of this nonsense about this person saying the world's going to end and that person saying the world's going to end. And this passage, interestingly enough, in 1 John chapter 2, tells us the Apostle John, the last surviving apostle of Jesus Christ directly, tells us his position, his understanding of the end times. And uh, he wants to tell us... It, Nine things that we need to be aware of and how to live and think as we would interact about the idea of the end times. So if you have your handouts, we've got nine things to cover and not as much time as we should take on this. So uh, let's just jump in here and uh, read 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 29. Now I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible, just because that's my favorite, and I'm voice forcing you to read it that way. So uh, uh, if you have a different Bible, you can follow along. That's good. First John chapter 2, verses 18 through 29. Children, it is the last hour. And just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. If they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out, so that it might be shown that they were not all of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. And as for you, let that abide in you which, was, which you'd heard from the beginning. 
If what you have heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. The promise is that he himself made to us eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. But as for you, the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it is taught you, you abide in him. Now little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, then you also know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Did you hear all nine things he wanted to tell you in there? This is such an amazing passage because it's not usually talked about when end times topics come up because people just pour through it as though it were not an end times passage. But the Apostle John shares with us probably the most intellectual, reasonable discussion of what's happening in the end times. Now, I need to give you a little context. This particular book of 1 John was written around 85 AD, most scholars tell us. The apostle Paul was killed about 61 to 63 AD, Peter about the same time. John is the last surviving apostle. And his perspective is after a whole bunch of stuff has happened, and he says, I want to talk with you about the end times. This is an incredibly exciting process, so let's jump in here and take a look. The first thing we learn is, according to the Apostle John, we are living in the end times. Jesus can come at any moment. Now, if you look at the passage there in 1 John 1, 2, 1, 18, children, it is the last hour. Just understand that, children, it is the last hour. What's interesting about this is that It's about 85 AD, and John had heard Jesus say about 50 years before what would be some of the things that would happen before he would come. And everything that Jesus has said would happen has happened. He saw Jerusalem destroyed. He saw the the rise of people who hated Christ and wars and rumors of wars. And we get to 85 AD, and most people who were Christians at that time would have thought Jesus was already would have come back. Now, as you look at this whole thing, every generation believes that they are in the last times. And everybody since about 55 to 60 AD has been in the last times. I have a unique perspective. I think it's John's perspective. And that is that every single generation until Jesus Christ actually shows up is in the last days. And if you were to ask the people in 410 and Alaric was marching through the city of Rome, they would have said Alaric was the Antichrist. If you would have asked the people in 1805 while Napoleon was destroying most of Europe, they would have said Napoleon was the Antichrist. If you would have asked people in the late 1800s, they would have said Kaiser Wilhelm was the Antichrist. What you have is you have every generation gets ready to be the final generation. And I personally think that the devil doesn't know which one really gets to be, so he gets ready in every generation. Now, interestingly enough, in John's lifetime, he'd already seen three people who could have been the Antichrist. Let me just show you a few pictures here. First would be Nero. 
Nero was the, uh, supposed to be the savior. In fact, one of the Roman emperors, was, he, they called him Nero will save, and it was a big political campaign. He became the emperor of the largest country or empire in the world at 16 years of age. And he served for about 16 years, uh, about 10 years until he became a full-blown pedophile, and then he was executed um, in that process. Now, what's interesting is this picture here is the picture of him blaming the burning of Rome, which most people believe he did, on the Christians and tying them to the stakes to light his gardens and lighting them on fire. And that would have been the people that, the person that most likely Paul would have thought, that's probably the Antichrist. Then John would have also looked at this next person who is Titus Vespasian. He was the Roman general who marched into to Jerusalem and destroyed the temple, carted off all of the Jewish uh, artifacts, and uh, many people thought that he was the Antichrist. Then he also would have potentially thought that this final person is Domitian. This is the son of Titus, and this was the person who was the emperor when John was writing this book. He arrested John and boiled him in oil. This is a woodcut of John being boiled in oil, obviously not authentic, but uh, from the Middle Ages. And uh, the book of Revelation was written while John was exiled under the arrest of Domitian. And so John would have thought, okay, I know that there's at least three candidates who could have been the Antichrist. Now, if you are living today, you might have all kinds of different political points of view as to who you think might be the Antichrist these days, and you may be right. The one thing that John's trying to help you understand is, is that Jesus Christ can come back at any moment. So be ready, and don't be deceived. So anyway, let's go on. Number two, there will be an increasing amount of people who will be against Christ. John was... Aware of this, all of the other gospel writers talked about this, but take a look at what the scripture says. And just as you've heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. The, uh, the Apostle Paul tells us that one of the ways that we know that we're in the end times is there will be a falling away from the faith, that there will be people who will oppose Christ. And... Uh, in fact, interestingly enough, as the centuries have rolled on, more and more religions and possible sects of Christianity, subsects, have risen up to kind of suggest in that generation, this is how we're going to oppose Christ. Today, in fact, we have uh, groups that are sub-Christian against Christ by saying Jesus is Michael the archangel, some form of less than God. Some groups say that he's the half-brother of Satan. Some people say that Jesus is had God land on him for a little while, but then he moved, God moved on. And so this whole idea here that there is opposition to Christ, um, it would be fun, wouldn't it? Have you ever had anybody be opposed that you know of to Jesus? Amen, welcome to the club. See, this is one of the evidences that Jesus may be getting ready to come back. Now, let's go on. You guys are not listening fast enough. We've got nine points to get through. Okay, number three. There will be some people who will leave the faith. There will be some people who will leave the faith. Look what it says there in, in uh, 1 John chapter 2. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they are not of us. 
One of the things that's interesting is if you're in a church, there are people who come and be a part of your church and they believe and it's all exciting and you think, I really like these people. And then some of them switch to other churches and you go, no. And as long as they're still in a Bible-believing church, that's cool, okay, but why don't you just stay with us? But then there are some people who for all intents and purposes look like they're just wonderful Christians and then after a few years they go, well, I'm kind of over that. And it's like, how do you get over God? How do you do that? And then they wander off into boating and uh, something else. And, and, you know, it's like, what? And, and what you have to get used to, and John is saying, you can't always put your finger on some. And I have to say, some of the people that I thought, oh, surely they're a Christian. They're just so into it. No, they were into church for a while, but they didn't stay with God. Now, in 2 Thessalonians 2.3, the Apostle Paul, speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he said that you can't be in the end times unless there is an apostasy, a, a falling away from the faith. Now, what's interesting is that from the time that Jesus came, the church keeps growing, it continues to grow, but there's always pockets and places where people fall away. And so don't be shocked by that is what the Apostle John is saying. And he's also saying here, one of the ways that you know who's true is who stays with it. They don't have to stay with your church, but they need to stay with God. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, let's hustle along. Number four, let the Holy Spirit guide you into the central truths of Christianity. This is a very fascinating point of view from John. Look what he says. He says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth. One of the things that's been true down through the 2,000 years of church history is, is that God the Holy Spirit anoints those who believe in him to coalesce around the central truths of Christianity. For 2,000 years, the central truths, there's about 10 of them, and all Christians believe them. There is, every, all Christians believe there is a God, that he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All Christians believe there is Jesus. All Christians believe that there is the Holy Spirit. All Christians believe that the Bible is the Word of God. All Christians believe that salvation comes through Jesus. All Christians believe that there is a church, even though we argue about which one's a better one, okay? All Christians believe that mankind was made in God's image, but is sinful, and sin is entered in. All Christians believe in angels. Um, some believe there's 10 different kinds. Some believe there's four different kinds, okay? Then all Christians believe there is an afterlife, and all Christians believe there is an end times. Now, we can argue like mad about, well, I think it happens here, and I think this is that. But every Christian, from Greek Orthodox to Episcopal to Lutheran to Baptist to Second Baptist, 17th Baptist, they all believe these 10 things, or you're not Christian. Does that make sense? Now, what the Apostle John is saying, in the first century, he's saying, I know the Holy Spirit is going to make sure that you realize and stay with these 10 things. Now, I find that absolutely fascinating. So now let's go on. Number five, never forget that Jesus is the Savior and God. One of the first places that the enemy 
and those who oppose Christ and who oppose God attack is Jesus. That's the first place they want to attack. Now, Jesus is the center of our faith. It is why we are technically not a religion. Let me just help you understand. I remember when I was in high school, just after I became a Christian, someone said, are you religious? And I said, no, I'm not religious because religion is trying to do the best you can to earn God's favor and say, God, am I okay? Religion is, Christianity is God saying, you guys are so messed up, you're never going to get it right. Let me send my son. He'll do all the work. All you got to do is believe in him. That's what I understand Christianity is. Christianity is Jesus doing all the work and saying, will you believe in me? Will you trust that what I did gets you approval by God? You're not earning anything with God because the best you can do is filthy rags. Now, what the apostle John tells us, look at what he says here in this, this verse. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father, and whoever, and the one who confesses the Son has the Father also. The whole thing in John's day was all about who is Jesus and what, what is he about, because there were lies that were beginning to be spread about him, and uh, in fact, hit this next one there, the three major heresies about Jesus were the Ebionites, the Docetics, and the Serinthians. Now, let me just help you understand those. This was in the first century. The Ebionites were Jews who said, Jesus is the Messiah, but we don't think he's God. And that was a heresy that was spreading in the first century. The second one was the Docetics, and that was the word doceticism comes from the Greek word dos, doke, which is the idea of to seem. And the idea there was for Greeks, because they believed that all uh, material things were evil, they said, Jesus just seemed to be a human, but he was kind of an illusion, a hologram from God. And that was one of the major things. And then Serinthianism, which is God came on Jesus at his baptism, but he left right before his death. In fact, they say that when Jesus said, why have you forsaken me? That was the God part leaving Jesus right before he paid for the sins of the world. And those were the three major heresies that John most likely had in mind as those who diminish or lie about Jesus. Now, Aren't you fascinated by that fascinating bit of history channel? Now, let's go on. Number six, the Holy Spirit will guide us in our behaviors, in our behaviors. The Spirit of Christ wants to guide us so we won't shrink away. Now, in order to understand what John is saying about the end times, he's saying Jesus could come at any moment. We are in the end times. Let the Holy Spirit guide you into truth. But then he has this other piece, let him guide you into the right behaviors. Now look at what the verse says. As for you, let that abide in you which you have heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. In other words, it's not enough to believe the right things. You must act right. You must begin to have the Holy Spirit moving through your life. Have you ever known some people who know the Bible backward and forward, but they're horrible people? Yeah, that's, that's John saying, no, 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 wrong, L-O, no, 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 no. 
I also know some people who are very, very loving, but, you know, they're just, there's not much truth there. Now, what's interesting about this is God tells us that if you are a true Christian, the Holy Spirit will come to live within you and begin to prompt you to live in a different way, to begin to be a different person. It says in Galatians 5.16, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. In Romans chapter 8, verse 14, it says, everyone who is being led by the Spirit is a son of God. I was the other day, I was at Chipotle having lunch and just minding my own business, having my little lunch. And then I look up and there are four guys from the church I'm serving with and they're coming in and just as clear as a bell, I get this prompting from God, buy their lunch. And I said, Lord, I, I don't really want to buy their lunch. That's, that's four, I've already bought mine. And have you ever had those kind of arguments with God? And he's just, and it's like, and I just looked at him, it was like he just kept saying, buy their lunch, buy their lunch, buy their lunch. And it was like, okay. So they get in line, and so then I run over there, and I said, oh, I got this, I got this, and I buy their lunch. And God, the Holy Spirit, wants to move us to love people, to be joyful, to be kind, to be patient, when we don't have it in ourselves. Does this make sense? Now, let me just... John is also the person who writes this letter, is also the one who wrote the Gospel of John and talks in John 15 where Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Now, if you're a great branch, you're just hanging on to the vine, and Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Now, if the branch is going to grow fruit, which we know in the Scriptures is love and joy, the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace, do you think that the branch actually strains and out pops grapes? No. All the branch has to do is be connected to the vine, let the sap flow through, which in a sense is the Holy Spirit, and then, oh, grow a little grape here, grow a little joy here, grow a little, you know, mango kindness or whatever. That, and, and God's saying, this person needs it, but I don't want to grow that. And you put your little branch down. And <laughs> And what God is saying is, through the Apostle John, he's saying, you are being guided by the Holy Spirit. You get these prompts, and you go, boy, that's just weird. Well, I would never want to do that. And he's saying, exactly, I want to do that. I want to be kind. I want to be loving through you. And that's one of the key elements of surviving in the end times, is to be guided, not just in what you believe by the Holy Spirit, but to be guided in what you do by the Holy Spirit. In fact, have you ever been in the midst of talking with someone, maybe having an argument with someone, and you say, I probably shouldn't say this, but that's your own body saying, shut up. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit's saying, be kind. I don't want to be kind to this person. I want to... And this is a part of what it means to be led by the Holy Spirit, is to say, Lord, you want to have things a part of my life that would not normally be a part of my life. Now, let's go on. Oh, we spent way too much time on that. Now, number seven, embrace eternal life. Embrace eternal life. Look at what the apostle says here. This is the promise which he himself made to us, eternal life, eternal life. Now, in order to understand that, you have to understand that the word life that he uses there is not the typical word for alive, it is the word zoe, 
and it is a quality of life. There's two, there's actually three Greek words, but two Greek words that have to do with life. Bios, or bios, which is biological life, being alive like a tree is alive, and then zoe, which is alive like alive alive. And it's a quality of life. And what God says is that if you invite me into your life, I will give you eternal life. Now, Eternal life is not endless blocks of time rammed one up against one another where you're wondering, how many more ping pong games in heaven can I play? (laughs) That is not heaven. Heaven is not the amount of time. Heaven is the quality of the time. It is the quality of the life. In fact, what Jesus is trying to teach us and what the Holy Spirit wants to connect us with is it's the relationships that you have. It's how do you have these relationships? I started thinking back before I was a Christian um, about my relationships, which really didn't do very well. Um, And then I realized Jesus came in and I became a nicer person. I became a person that other people would actually want to connect with. And then wonder of all wonders, after having been rejected by four different women, the fifth one said, yes, I'll marry you. (laughs) It's like shocking, shocking. And I'm living in this amazing little thing called this marriage for the last 30 years that I shouldn't be a part of because if if the real me were ever to get out, I'd wreck it. But as long as Jesus is channeled through me and he's moving in me, we have this incredible thing. And I was just thinking about how amazing it was for me to have the kids I have and the wife I have and the friends I have, and I go, they like me. They really like me. And there is something about Zoe life, eternal life. In fact, Jesus says it this way. He says, when you get to heaven, there won't be any marrying or giving in marriage. Why? My impression of heaven is, is that we will all be close to one another more than if we were married so there won't need to be marriage, and everyone will be related at a level that we can only imagine now. And that's life. It's like, oh, hey, you want to spend the next 3,000 years talking? And, and you just, whatever, it's just this whole thing. Now, let me just say, if you invite Jesus in to just forgive you of your sins, and you don't invite him in to make a difference in your ability to love, it's, it's like a waste, It's like a total waste. Let the Zoe life in and become loving and gracious. Now, let's go on. Number eight, don't be deceived. Every apostle says this, and even Jesus says, during the end times, during your version of the end times, the great chance that you could be deceived. You could be deceived on the truth side, but he says, if you have the Holy Spirit, you won't be, but he They keep talking about this, don't be deceived. Look at what he says here in verse 26. Go go back, go back, go back, go back, go back to the verse. There you go, thank you. These things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. As for you, the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie, Just as it has taught you, you abide in him. There are two things that make up a Christian in terms of our growth. And one of them is the behaviors, the how we walk forward. 
And one of the things that will try and deceive us in our world is false saviors. There are monetary, political, I put there, this, this was an actual picture I got off here of Elvis. I had a woman who came to my church who actually had a shrine in her home to Elvis. And she would worship at the shrine of Elvis. And I said, you know, that's really not a good thing. It's not going to help you, you know. Stepping on your blue suede shoes or not is not going to make a difference in heaven one day. And then there are some people who worship their money. Uh, this last chart is a chart, interestingly enough, of the amount of hard drugs people do compared to their attendance at church. And the, the lowest one is if you go to church weekly, you have a 7.72% chance of doing hard drugs. If you don't go at all, or you never go, then you're at 17.90% and you worship the drugs. Now, I was confronted outside of my church one day by a group of teenagers who use drugs pretty significantly, and they said, we love our drugs more than you love Jesus. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, if a cross or a Bible gets thrown down on the ground, some Christians, because we've seen it around your church, they just leave it there. But if we had drugs thrown on the ground, we would never leave it. We love our drugs more than you love your Jesus. And it was a fascinating discussion about how they understood love and focus. And I said, oh, oh, interesting. I think I love Jesus more. But, and I think that your drugs are going to be destructive to you. Now, let me just help you understand. Throughout your life, you will be offered some false or pseudo-saviors. You know, if you just eat the right vegetables, or if you just, you know, do your, you know, poses in the right way, you can be okay. Or if you, if you have this particular thing or that particular thing, you will be tempted, tricked into potentially saying, this is what salvation is to me. This becomes more important than God. In fact, some of the folks, have you ever watched someone come to church, start following God and loving God, and they're, oh, this is great, and then they get a new vacation home, or they get a new job, or they get a new mistress, or a new whatever, and they begin to move in the direction of this, and they're beginning to go off in that direction rather than with God. And he's saying, be careful, because you will have something that comes after you to offer a pseudo-salvation, and just be careful. Now, let's go on. Number nine, be righteous, love God and others, and do no harm. Look at what the scripture says. Now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who also practices righteousness is born of him. I was working with a man a few number of years ago, and uh, we were talking about the fact that we live in the last days and that Jesus could come at any moment. And he was deeply into pornography and all of the things that went with pornography. Um, and he said, I got to fix this because I would not want Jesus to show up and have him find me doing that. I said, that's a pretty good plan because that's what John says. Make sure that your behavior is guided by the Holy Spirit so that when he shows up, you don't shrink away and go, oh, sorry you showed up right now. Does this make sense? Some of you are like, no, it doesn't. So let me give you more illustrations. 
There are two ways, that, two things that we have to do to become a stronger Christian. They are orthodoxy and orthopraxy. In other words, thinking right, which is what he was talking about earlier, the central truths of Christianity, but then also orthopraxy. In John's day and in the Old Testament, the concept of righteousness was clearly understood. What was righteousness? It was some positive things and some negative things. Have you ever grown weary of people who proclaim how Christian they are and yet they're complete jerks? Yeah, and what John is saying is if you're going to survive the end times, if you're not going to shrink away when Jesus shows up, you have to be believing the right things but also acting in the right ways. Not because it earns favor with God, but because that's what Christians do who let Jesus flow through them. Now, do good and do no harm. Now, when I was trying to teach my kids this whole idea, I made placemats for the table. And what I said was, really, the whole of the Christian life comes down to two things. Living within the Ten Commandments and loving God and your neighbor inside of it. And so we would talk about what happens if you get tempted to murder someone? What happens if you get tempted to, you know, lie or cheat? And then it's not enough to just say, well, I don't cheat or lie or steal or go with girls who do, but I don't do anything else. God says you have to love him and love others. Then I had this other little uh, placemat in which I said, your goal is to, all throughout your life is to love God and others inside of the 10 box to be able to say, you know, I'm not going to take advantage of that kid at school. I'm not going to take advantage of that business partner just because I can. I'm going to care for them, and I'm going to think as highly of them as I do myself. That's this life that is not going to shrink away when Jesus finally comes. You, you with me here? Some of you are looking at me like, I'm not exactly sure. Do we need to have the placemat there? And, and say, anyway. Christianity has gotten a very bad name because people have forgotten to do either the love on the inside or the boundaries on the outside. And we have appeared and have been jerks. We have been haters and horrible because we've not been willing to say this whole thing is righteousness. It's all righteousness. Do I love others? And do I keep from harming them by how I act? Now, I don't believe in preaching messages that we don't apply, so let's just see if God spoke to us on any of the nine things the apostle talked about. Hit this next one. How many of you would say that God wants to talk with you or interested in interacting? It was interesting to you that we are living in the end times and there has been a continual series of those over the course. How many of you thought that would be fascinating? Okay, a few. How many of you would say, oh, I need to realize that there are an increasing number of people who may be against Christ around me? Okay. How many would say, what God is trying to get into my head based upon what this verse said was, there's going to be some people who will fall away from the faith. How many of you, that's what God's kind of trying to... Ham okay, good, good, good. Okay, then how many of you really need to think through, or God's trying to say, yes, I'm trying to guide you into the central truths of the, whole, of the faith? 
How many of you say the, the doctrines? Okay, good. A few of us. I love, this is always like an auction. Christians are like, so it's good. I, I can see a few of you. This is good. Okay, now, how many of you, God is emphasizing that you need to focus on Jesus is the Savior and he's God? How many of you would say that's, okay, a few of us? Good, good, good. Okay, it's, it's completely illegal to raise your hand on all nine, just to let you know. Okay, now, then, how many of you would say God is trying to, he's prompting you, you, you set up when we talked about you have to behave as a Christian. You have to let the Holy Spirit flow through you in love and joy. How many of you, that's what God's saying? Good for you. Okay, very good. Okay, now then, how many of you, God wants you to embrace eternal life and increase your relationships rather than just being alive? Good. How many of you right now would say that you know that there's something trying to pretend to be a salvation for you that's other than Jesus. And so you need to work on not being deceived. Amen, amen, yes, yes. Okay, then righteousness is about learning to love God and others. And let me just say this, even prickly people, my theory is for every 50 to 100 people in your life, you get at least one prickly one. And God says, oh, this is to grow in this. How many of you, God's asking you to love and be righteous in the midst of the prickly ones? Okay, good, 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 good. Now, let's pray. Let's see whether what God puts on our hearts, we can live out this week through the movement of his Holy Spirit. It's not on us. In fact, I often will say to the Lord, Lord, I'll do whatever you ask, just make it clear. And he usually has to remind me three or four times, like, buy their lunch four times before I could. You mean you want me to part with my money for them? Yes. Okay, so we get that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus. Ask that you would minister to us, that you might empower us. We want you to flow in our lives. Help us understand that you could come at any moment. Help us to realize and to embrace the truth that you are God and that there are truths that you are guiding us toward. Father, some of us need to grapple with and interact with the fact that we are right now being deceived into believing in something that's really not a salvation, it's a pseudo-salvation. Father, open us to this process of letting us embrace righteousness and learning to have our behavior be different so that when you come, we will have confidence when you come. In Jesus' name, amen.